0: Welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I'm Charlie, joined by Reed. as always. Uh, you probably have noticed this, but just one episode this week. Um, Reed, do you want to tell the people why?
1: Yes, well, uh, in part uh, because I joined No Truck Stops, for those who didn't see. Uh, probably are familiar with that podcast covering Pac-12 football and some basketball, too, uh, which I have to get into myself. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so I, I joined as a fifth mic over there, uh, and finally added some Oregon uh, perspective <laughs> and Pac-12 North perspective to the yeah. podcast uh, that I think was sor- sorely needing it. So yeah, I'm excited for that.
0: Yeah, uh, you've got a couple pieces of content up there already. Go check it out. Um, I'm a pa- I've been a Patreon subscriber. Obviously, we know them pretty well. Um, just from being in similar you know, Pac-12 circles on the internet. Um, but it's great stuff. You also, of course, you're still doing your newsletter. You got your preview of this game, um, which helped me prepare for it, uh, as well as I think it's Utah Wazoo this week. Is that y- what it's yes,
1: going to be? Yes, exactly. Utah Wazoo this week. Should be Sweet. fun.
0: Yeah. The other reason that we didn't get a like regular post-game recap out uh it's because we were in eugene and quite frankly we were both exhausted uh i know we we were both at game day we saw each other there for a little bit um for anyone who hasn't been to game day like just give them the lowdown read like how was your experience
1: yeah well i think i did it maybe um uh, it was a little less brutal for me than it was for you it sounds like i was there at i got there about 5 30 uh i think you were what time did you get there
0: Dude, we left the house at like 3,
1: so 3.10, 3.15. <laughs> yeah, um, but it was a huge turnout from the Oregon fans, which was pretty cool to see. Uh, it was raining through the morning, so I wasn't sure how many people would be out there necessarily. Um, but yeah, you get there early. People were camping out all night. Some people showed up pretty much through all hours of the night. Uh, and then show starts at 6, still in the dark. Um, like I said, we were dealing with intermittent rain, you know, it would be like 20 minutes on, then maybe an hour off of rain and then 20 more minutes of kind of heavy rain. Um, really fun. Uh, yeah, the sun rises as the show's going on. Uh, I was right next to the duck when he smashed the guitar and then I kind of got to push (laughs) up to the front. Uh, as, as people swelled in behind uh, the duck riding the motorcycle up to the stage. Um, and then from there, yeah, we were just watching the show. Uh, got to get pretty close when Sabrina went up there to be guest picker. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was a fun experience. I thought, what do you think of it?
0: Yeah. I mean, it was fun. I went to the one in 2018 as well. Honestly, I'm kind of game date out at this point. Um, that's probably, I'm probably going to hang up my hat on that as an activity, Uh, for the foreseeable (laughs) future it's it's a grueling physical experience i mean if you don't prepare yourself for it you will get screwed um i mean the the group i was with we even went to bed early we took all the you know we had everything planned out like we got breakfast delivered in the morning everything um and it's still like it's it's just brutal to go through um so i would definitely recommend it if you haven't done it uh but if you have, you probably feel the same way we do already. <laughs> like, um, it's really, it's a really unique experience. Like, there's nothing like it. It's somewhere between a concert and like, I don't know, uh, watching TV. I guess uh, you can still see. Like, they have a monitor up, and you can see what's happening on the show and hear everything. But um, I don't know. It's a lot of waiting. So, anyways, um, let's get on to the game itself obviously I, I think kirk was the only one on the set to pick ucla in this game um and honestly i, I kind of like when one person like goes picks against the ducks just because i hate seeing you know all what is it four or five of the logos up there like being organs that just i don't know it makes me a little more nervous uh, than i need to be um but in terms of the game itself obviously we were both at it as well um what was just kind of generally like what was the most exciting thing about this game to you? Cause there's a lot of them.
1: Yeah. I thought the biggest moment for me was the onside kick. Uh, that was really fun, especially after I think Kirk was talking about in during game day, kind of, uh, the old chance in Autzen, uh, uh, the big balls chip chant that used to rain from the student <laughs> section when he'd go for it on fourth down. Uh, and so it was kind of, um, poetic I guess that it was Lanning who made a really big gamble there I think a really smart gamble to go for that onside kick Uh, and it was Chip who was settling for field goals a couple times in this game that I think really cost uh, UCLA kind of their only chances to keep pace with Oregon Um, but that was a really fun call uh, and it felt like I guess, you know, Chip defined so much of the identity of this Oregon program and being innovative and risk takers. Uh, And it was that way to an extent before Chip arrived at Oregon as well. But that felt like a call that was true to the identity of Oregon football. And it was cool to see Lanning make it on this big stage uh, that, you know, is the biggest he's played on this year, arguably outside of the Georgia game. Um, and we know how that one went he didn't really get a chance to make a big call in that game necessarily Uh, but that was a really fun call Uh, it felt like it was true to Oregon football Uh, and on top of that the offense pouring on as many points as they did uh, felt very true to the old identity of Oregon football as well
0: exactly and I can't remember if this is something I talked about on this pod or just in conversation with people but um it was funny that all offseason we talked about having an, this program having an identity crisis, or at least that was the, the national narrative, right? It's like, oh, all these coaches keep leaving Oregon. They must not have an identity. It's like, well, we do have an identity. Uh, it just hasn't been used by the right head coach in, you know, since Mark Helfrich was here, quite honestly. Um, <laughs> Taggart didn't – I mean, we didn't get a big <laughs> enough sample size with Taggart. Crystal yeah. Ball was obviously, like, the antithesis of taking risks. Um, he just wanted to make the game as, you know, boring as possible in order to win it. Um, but it, exactly what you're saying, like, this onside kick, that embodies the identity. Like, throwing it over the top to Troy Franklin is our identity. You know, rushing for over five yards a carry against supposedly one of the best defenses in the conference, that's our identity. Um, we don't need to mince words about it, like... This was an incredibly fun game to watch uh, from an Oregon standpoint. And it's funny because as big as this game was, and you know as close as our predictions were, I think both of us lowballed the actual um, like margin of victory for the Ducks in this one. Yeah, we did. We both had it at single digits. Um, with all those factors going in, I don't know, maybe it was just the lack of sleep and exha- exhaustion, but... I don't know about you, I never felt nervous at any point during this game.
1: Yeah, I think the closest I came to nervous was on that first UCLA drive when I was on the side where where they scored the touchdown and it looked like 7-3, and then we said, oh, there's a flag on the ground, call it back. Um, that was the closest I got to. You know, it, it was a game early on that I felt like, Field goals were going to lose you a game like this, and mm-hmm. I was nervous that Oregon ended its first possession in a field goal. Uh, and boy, did they fix those concerns over the, especially in the second quarter and throughout the rest of the game. Um, yeah, but I think I, it was a weird game. Uh, I felt like you know the energy around Eugene, and talking to other Ducks fans leading up to the game. I had a lot of conversations with people who were kind of like, I think I think we could really put it on him. I think we could actually win this game by a lot. Um, and I think there's a quiet confidence there, but I think people were nervous to say it because Oregon hadn't necessarily done that uh, against a major opponent uh, in a long time, right? I mean, the Ball offenses weren't explosive, and then just this year, you know, the best defense Oregon's played and the only defense probably that you'd consider good is Washington State. Uh, and the points ended up coming in that game. But for a half, obviously, you know, Oregon was held to single digits, which wasn't up to the standard. Uh, in this game, the points came early and the Ducks offense was rolling and kind of lived up to the potential of, of I think, exactly what we hoped this game uh, could be.
0: Yeah, it's funny, though, because um, I remember sitting in my seat as the clock hit zero in the first quarter, and it was 3-3, to and I'm like, oh, well, all the overbetters are probably sweating right now. Um, And then literally the first play of the next quarter, um, I don't have any data on this, but it seems like this team scores at either the end of a quarter or the first play of a quarter damn near every single time. Um, It's kind of insane how often we we bring this up, but... um, Terrence Ferguson gets that 17-yard touchdown pass. Beautiful play design. Uh, that was right after Bo Nix converted a third and five on the ground. That's huge. So after both teams opening the game with uh, field goals because of penalties that stalled their successful drives, um, Oregon comes out, gets a punch. UCLA obviously punches back with that Keegan Jones 36-yard touchdown where Justin Flo can't get to the edge. Um I will say we'll do plenty. We'll talk about plenty of things we were excited about in this game, um, but we'd be remiss if we didn't point out some things that the Ducks straight up could improve. um, That don't even necessarily have to do with the opponent. I think this Jones touchdown or Murray touchdown is a great one to start with. No, it was Keegan Jones. I was right. Why did I say Keegan Murray? Um,
1: That's the Kings player. We got drafted fourth. I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I've been watching too much Blazers, but that's another story. Um. Anyways, the the lateral quickness from the linebackers and just their ability to cover in space in general—it's been down all year. Uh, it really hasn't improved all that much. It's what Georgia exploited for Oregon uh, for four quarters. Just you know, <laughs> they they pretty much telegraphed where the ball was going to go, and we couldn't stop them. Um, on this one, I mean, Jones is a super fast guy. He ran track in high school or whatever uh but still i mean this is the this is not the justin flow that has been advertised you know um i guess that was just kind of disappointing to see if nothing else i don't necessarily have a solution for it because i'm not a football coach um but it's something i would very much like to see improved upon for the rest of the year
1: yeah it made me wonder uh i think maybe for the first time this season, like legitimately wonder if Justin Flo could come back next year. I think it was always in my head, maybe, you know, if he more just because of injuries. But I think this game showed like he does have some serious room for improvement and some habits to fix from his high school days. Um, And that was part of the game that you know I forecasted potentially as, as being a place where Oregon could win it, uh, as if their linebackers showed up and were improved from what they've been through the first six games and had kind of shed the uh, injuries that they had had that maybe had held them back to start the season. And we didn't see that in this game at all. Um, the linebackers still have a lot of room for improvement. And maybe that will come at some point this season. Uh, I think I'm done kind of counting on it showing up ever uh but other parts of this defense are improving as well I think the secondary is getting better and better early in this game on those first two drives for UCLA um DTR put the ball in harm's way twice on the first time it Mm -hmm. was a third down throw right after the touchdown was taken back that uh DTR sailed and I think it was Brian Addison got his hands on it yeah. yeah and and Dante Manning kind of collided with him and caused a drop there. Um, not, I don't think anyone's fault necessarily, but a missed opportunity for Oregon. And then the second one uh, was on their touchdown drive, their second drive. DTR just lofted one up that was right to Christian Gonzalez. Uh, and that one, for a moment, time stood still. And I was like, come on. You know, I think Gonzo's got this. Uh, UCLA wide receiver, I don't know who it was, but he made a really good play on the ball um to break that up but Oregon almost had two interceptions on those first two drives would have been huge uh and it was nice that I felt like the onside kick that was kind of hanging in my mind but then when we got that stolen possession from the onside kick I felt like okay maybe this is you know this evened out a bit
0: everything about the onside kick made so much sense um the the timing of it the game state I mean, Oregon's up a touchdown at this point, 17 to 10. Um, and it just didn't, or maybe it was, am I messing that up? Yeah, it, no, is, it was 17 to 10. 10.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, getting up 14 in that spot is so much more valuable than kicking the ball back to UCLA. Uh, and, I mean, even if we don't recover that onside kick, kind of feels like the Bruins are going to score anyways, right? I don't think there was a single, correct me if I'm wrong, was there more than like one punt in this entire game? I don't even know if there was a punt.
1: Yeah, the first punt came by Oregon with six minutes left in the game.
0: Okay, okay. Uh, Oh, that's right. Yeah, there was one three and out. Yeah. Um, Either way, I mean, every other drive ended either on like a a turnover or a score by either team. Um, I mean, effectively speaking, Oregon pretty much scored every time they touched the ball gifting yourself an extra possession there and especially because it came from something that to quote lanning something that they saw on the first kickoff like that is some that is some high level observation and coaching like decision making going on um that is not something you expect to see out of a first year head coach the fact that they can recognize and adapt to something as quickly as that and then have coached it well enough and you know during the week so that guys could actually like execute it perfectly um i mean you can't execute an onside kick any better than that um like the ucla pretty much had no chance to recover it uh once it was kicked
1: but it's played right on the margins you know if you don't have the composure the ball has to go 10 yards there like if you don't have the composure to wait right until it hits the 10 yard mark and dive on it then like you can cost yourself the possession if the kicker you know yeah. just gets jittery and dives on it at the nine and a half yard mark like you don't get the ball um and or even same i think jamal with,
0: hill right yeah even if jamal hill goes up and, and cleans the guy out if he blocks him you're not allowed to do that before it goes 10 yards so <laughs> great composure yeah all around by <laughs> by both of those guys um so shout out to andrew boyle that's pretty legendary stuff uh Shades of the, in a very different game state, but still similar in, like, importance. Uh, shades of the Rob Beard onside kick, I believe, <laughs> in 2010 against Stanford. Um, obviously, Oregon was losing that game, and they needed it to kind of crawl back into the game in the first half. But, um, yeah, this was amazing. Boyle's kickoffs in general were great, too. I, I think the rest of them were touchbacks. I can't remember exactly. Uh, maybe UCLA had, like, one return. But, um great game all around on special teams cam lewis remains unflappable on his field goals he hasn't missed a single one or an extra point all season which is crazy um but really i mean after the ducks took that 14 point lead like they really never looked back it seemed pretty obvious that uh ucla felt a little bit demoralized after that obviously they kept playing and everything but once they kicked a field goal instead of going for it on fourth and five on their next possession, this game in my mind was pretty much over. I was shocked that Kelly made that decision, um, and that he trusted his defense to even stop Oregon with three minutes left on the clock. Um, yeah, is I, not only did landing out chip chip, which is something we've heard a lot about this week, uh, chip didn't really live up. To his own standard, he set for himself of being that risk taker, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. I, I mean that you know it was a fourth and five. That's not as short as you'd want it to be, but in the Oregon days, Chip was going for those. It felt like for sure, um, and even yeah. you know throughout his time at UCLA, it's felt that way too. I, I think that the t- uh, two more things about this onside kick add to why I think it was such a good decision. One is the timing of it, right? There's 10 minutes left in the ha- in the half when he does it. And I think that that slots out really well for you to get two possessions and for UCLA to only get one. Um, so I liked that aspect of it. And Oregon, you know, drives down, scores with, uh, I think, about seven minutes left. And then, you know, UCLA's UCLA gets the field goal and Oregon has it back in perfect time to do a three minute drive to close out the half. The other part of it in the stadium. And I don't know how well this came through in the broadcast was the weather. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. I was feeling it right, right. I guess, you know, as we were kicking that onside kick, you were kind of, everyone was looking up at the clouds and seeing like, okay, it looks like the rain's finally about to come in. Um, And That ended up not mattering a ton, but I I think that it was an important thing that was made a lot about leading up to the game, Um, and I know David Woods, who's the 247 writer for UCLA, has talked a lot about how he felt like their game plan was really a ball control game plan that was built for rain, uh, and that it not happening kind of threw them off in some ways. Uh, Not that that's necessarily the reason that UCLA lost the game, but just that that wasn't something they were anticipating that didn't come through. But I thought that was, those two things made it especially smart to me because I just didn't think that there was a huge risk on the other side. Worst case scenario, you put your defense in a red zone situation, which is where they'd been best all game. Uh, And so that was awesome. And then just how it played out. Like I think you know, a big part of this game was Oregon didn't necessarily, you know, dominate UCLA on a per play basis to the tune of, you know, 31 to 13 in the first half. But they stole a possession and managed the game perfectly so that they scored at the very end of the half in order to, you know, squeeze out every ounce of advantage that they had into a translating into points on the scoreboard uh that was you know as big of a gap as i think you could have made out of what those two teams were doing in the first half to each other uh and that's credit to the coaching staff right i I know we haven't felt that way a lot during the crystal years that there was our domination on a per play basis often wasn't reflected in the scoreboard and uh it felt like it was and then some in this game especially in the first half
0: Mm -hmm. i mean we both play poker with the same people like sometimes even if you're the high stack you still have to bluff a little bit or you still have to take some sort of risk um so i'm just very glad that landing did that like again like you're saying this is this is something mario would never have done in his wildest dreams uh and so the fact that we could you know snag an advantage in a spot where we felt like you know in Lanning's head when he's making this decision i mean i don't know what the onside Kick recovery rate is, it's probably around like 5 or 10%, something very low like that. Even with all those things in his favor that we just listed out, I mean, maybe it pushes it up to like 45% success rate, like in terms of, you know, what are your actual odds of recovering this ball? Like maybe close to 50%. That's still a massive right. risk to be taking uh, against this potent offense. So, again, uh, you mentioned success rates in general. UCLA's was up to 59% in this game, which is very, very good. Oregon's was only 56%. Um, Both of those numbers are off the charts pretty much. Um, Pretty much like almost all the offensive numbers in this game will be if you look at them. Although I will say the two that don't really work out very well for UCLA, uh, third down success rate and yards per drop back, both hovering around 50%. Two major things that we talked about um, in the preview. Oregon didn't do all that hot on third down either. I mean, UCLA went 40%. Ducks went 35%. Uh, The point is that Oregon made explosive plays when they needed to. They got a higher volume of them, even though it technically might not say that uh, on the stat sheet. Like, There's another theoretical discussion to be had there. Um, Oregon made the bigger momentum-changing games and plays in this game. Notably, and most notably, I think, we need to talk about this first half that Troy Franklin had. Um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I, actually now I do. Eight catches, 132 yards, two touchdowns, including that 50-yard bomb that he caught. Um, <laughs> this throw from Bo almost touched the clouds. Uh, it, was, it was immaculate. I mean, when's the last time we've seen a player throw a ball like that?
1: Oh, my God. I don't even think, you know, Herbert, I think his balls look a little different. He, he's not lofting them in the same way. Um, so, I mean, certainly Anthony Brown, Tyler Shuck, we didn't really see that out <laughs> of those two. So it's probably been, you know, maybe Mariota had some that looked like that, but um, at least that consistent was pretty game. awesome. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, on the other it side... Is- I think Troy Franklin is the most complete wide receiver we've had since, you know, I mean, maybe you could give a shout to a guy like Dylan Mitchell. um, But I honestly would go even before that. Like, Troy has really, uh, really looked good this season and this first half. He came up with some huge catches, notably that 50-yarder, but also right after the onside kick, Oregon was put back in a second and 17, and Troy was the guy who made a catch through a pass interference call on former duck Jalen Davies uh, and still got the catch. And that was really important, right? I mean, you know, if you drop that ball and let's say it's, you know, not a pass interference call, you're into a third and long and having to punt after taking such a massive gamble on the onside kick would have been pretty deflating, I think. So saving that drive was key. And Oregon did that in a lot of spots, uh, all game, you know, I think uh, uh, like the success rates bear that out. It wasn't necessarily that Oregon was absolutely killing UCLA on a per play basis or that, you know, They never faced a third down all game, but it seemed like every time they did, either you know they were just getting a push and Bucky was stumbling forward for six, eight yards, or Bo Nix every time came through with either a key pass or found a way to scramble and get the perfect amount of yardage on a third down late or two fourth downs early in the third quarter. Uh, Bo kept it and knifed his way to get just enough yardage to extend the drive. And both those were plays where I probably got the most nervous outside of the first few minutes because, yeah, Oregon had a two-possession lead, but they would have turned the ball over to UCLA uh, in Oregon territory with a chance to cut it down to a single possession if you don't convert either of those. And, yeah, they were short, but uh, showed a lot of poise just to get those yards by Bo.
0: Yeah, I, I still get a little bit nervous any time he, anytime he runs, just in general, because like your quarterback's out there, and based on how important he is to this team, I mean, he's far and away the most important player right now, um, losing him would be just catastrophic for, for this team, I think, but um, like you said, I mean, I just got the impression that Oregon was the overall better team, just on paper, and that really showed out in this game, like I, it occurred to me that like UCLA doesn't have weapons like Oregon has. Yes, they have Zach Charbonnet. I'm sure we'll we'll get to talking about his insane performance in this game. Um, but their offensive line wasn't doing much of the work. Like we said in the preview, he he did more work than they did. Uh, he being Charbonnet. Like in the run game, he makes up for their deficiencies. Their wide receivers. I mean, yeah, Bobo is tall. He had some insane catches in this game, and he had over a hundred yards, I think uh and I'm pretty sure their other guy did too uh Allen oh no he had eight catches 45 yards um even so like that was kind of it for their weapons were those three guys I know Jones had that touchdown but I chalked that up more as a defensive deficiency than a great offensive play um I mean like Allen is kind of their only like I guess Cam Brown only had one catch like there wasn't a lot of explosive guys on this team. Uh, they could really use a guy like Chase Coda in the passing game, that's for sure. Which is kind of ironic, but um, again, just on paper, it seemed like Oregon had the better offensive line and they had the better offensive weapons. And in a game that you that everyone knew was going to be a shootout, like those are two massive advantages to have, especially when you're playing like. You know, I, I'm not saying UCLA's UCLA's defense is worse than Oregon's, but I mean UCLA's defense isn't going to be winning them any games. You know, um, I I just once I saw the first like half, honestly, I was supremely confident that Oregon was going to win this game, um, even if like I mean even if I had checked the per play basis stuff and seen that it was pretty even, like. I think still, it just seemed like Oregon was more up for this game than UCLA was. Maybe that comes from Chip doing his faceless opponent BS. I don't know. Maybe it was just landing being a better motivator. Maybe it's just Oregon having better athletes. Like, we also have to consider that possibility. So, I don't know. I'm, I was very excited about this win. At halftime, I, I felt, like I said, supreme confidence. Um, 28 points in the second quarter. And... I saw, I think it was uh, Doug Scott pointed this out on Twitter. I don't know. Maybe it was Day. Like, how often do you see a team lose the coin toss, other team defers, and then your team still wins the middle eight, like 14-3 to or something like that? In fact, it might have just been 14-0. It it was just great. It was a great all-around performance.
1: Yeah, it really was. I think one place we can take it as well is, you know, how would we feel about this game in a – Pac-12 title rematch. I think that the home crowd played a factor definitely on Saturday Um, and, you know, it was competitive in terms of success rate, but I still think that a lot of the uh, you know, you talk about the weapons, that's a decided advantage for Oregon here. Even Bobo, a lot of his production came in that second half when I think, you know, Oregon was just trying to keep things in front of them more Mm -hmm. than anything. Um, And yeah, I don't, you know, they don't have a guy like Troy Franklin. And then the line of scrimmage, like this offensive line again showed up uh and was really good for Oregon and on the other side of the ball, the defensive line didn't get to DTR in terms of, you know, producing sacks, but they did rattle him at times and force some pressure um and the ability to do that I think had an impact on this game. Um and I'm excited for Looking forward, you know, if this defensive line can continue to improve uh, and do that. And I think that obviously they have really good chances to showcase that in their next two games against Cal and Colorado.
0: Something else relating to the defense and Thompson Robinson, uh, eight rushes for 38 yards. That right there is absolutely massive for this defense. Uh, We saw they struggled to contain Cam Ward. We've talked about it throughout the season, like, you don't even need to sack the guy. You don't even need to tackle for loss. Like, just make it so he doesn't rush for a first down. Obviously, we saw DTR do that a couple of times, but in general, I mean, the Ducks did a really good job spying on him. We saw Sewell pressure him one time. And like you said earlier, there were two interceptions or two incomplete passes that very well could and probably should have been interceptions by Oregon um, that went unpunished from DTR. So, I mean... Uh, we talked about this last week about how he's he was at the time the best quarterback in the conference i'm i'm definitely passing that torch after this game either to Bo. i mean maybe you still want to you know, hold out for caleb williams but i mean on the other side of the quarterback battle like Bo Nix was insane there's a reason he's being put up on some heisman boards um i don't think he's the best player in the country right now but, you know based on my personal opinion you can you're totally <laughs> willing to think otherwise um but i mean his stat line in this game was incredible as we've talked about i think about half of his incompletions came from just throwing the ball away or like skybombing that one uh at the end of the game to run the clock out which was pretty fun but 22 of 28 283 yards five passing touchdowns that that's just off the charts um By pretty much all accounts, he was the best statistical and all-around quarterback of the week this week. And it came in Oregon's biggest conference game of the year. So congrats to Bo. I feel really good for him. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know, know what I would have. I think it's a close race for the best quarterback in the conference right now. Uh, Or, you know, I don't know if I put Bo into the Heisman talk overall, but I think in this game, he played like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, And this was the biggest stage yet since the Georgia game. So it was really encouraging to see that. Um, Helpful that it was at home. uh, And really nice that Oregon's going to have home games against Washington and Utah coming up uh, rather than, you know, having to play those on the road. So I think. There's reason to be encouraged by that performance for Bo, and hopefully it will be repeatable in those other games. Uh, Because the slate, you know, sets up sets up pretty well for Oregon after this game, and you know we we have Colorado this week. Then it's a road trip to, or we have Cal this week. Then it's a road trip to Colorado. I mean, Uh, both those games you would assume are you know, games that Oregon should have major advantage is in and be able to lean on those to, you know, hopefully have the starters out of the game at some point. Um, And, you know, just control those, stay healthy and get to that final three-game stretch that we've talked about so much this year.
0: Something you mentioned kind of off to the side, but talk about staying healthy. Where are the injuries on this team? I keep waiting for somebody to go down and to, like, have a reason to be super disappointed and, or not disappointed, but like at least be questioning our our depth that somewhere on the roster. Um, is that another Mario issue? Can we say that yet? Like where do you fall on our injury luck this season, I guess?
1: Yeah, it's tough to say. Right. But I mean, it seems like uh, it's certainly a dramatic improvement from last season and uh, I, I I'm pretty sure that some of the injury problems have followed Mario to Miami. So take from that what you will. But I mean, outside of the Popo loss at defensive tackle, this team has pretty much avoided all injuries um, and whatever is going on with Byron Cardwell, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, But uh, in both those places, Oregon has a ton of depth. I, I think unless, you know, last season was really abnormal and, I don't think people understood that quite enough, how depleted Oregon was at a few specific spots. Um, But otherwise, this Oregon roster is, you know, knock on wood, but it's pretty hard to crack. There's a lot of depth in a lot of places. Uh, And usually, you know, if you just lose a guy here or there, uh, Oregon's able to pick that back up. You know, I mean, linebacker, it's like last year Oregon got depleted there this year. Flow's been out a bit. Sewell's been dealing with an injury, but Oregon's been able to pick it up and get some decent production out of that group. That hasn't been the highlight of this team, but Boss is a dude. Um, Brown and LeDuc are, you know, capable of stepping in, and Sewell, even at whatever it is, sixty percent, uh, is still capable. So, with the, with the way the offense is going, that's been enough to cover up those areas.
0: Uh, Let's round out our thoughts from this game. Uh, We can move on to some other things. Um, Other concerns um, that we might have. Offensive line did kill a couple drives on penalties. I want to say Salah had like three penalties on his own um, throughout the course of this game. We had another downfield by Marcus Harper. like if there's you know we're getting real into the weeds here but i mean we do have to talk about things that we could improve on and this is certainly one of them like we talk about it every week at this point um the offensive line penalties just just have to get better uh other things i would have liked to see a little bit more from the d line just based on how bad this offensive line is uh but you know hold <laughs> put a post-it note on that one we'll come back to it in the Cal discussion. Um, and the, is there anything else that you noticed that maybe Oregon could have done better?
1: Yeah, I think the linebacker is still, you know, is an area to look at. Uh, they're, you know, definitely not playing up to the expectations that we had for them going into the year. Um, but I, I mean, it is just amazing how much a really good offense covers for in this sport. Uh, it really makes you look like a, a very good team, even if, it's disproportionately on one side of the ball. Uh, Oregon was able to create space in this game, and you know, once they did that, it was pretty much in hand uh, as long as they just executed through the rest of it.
0: Yep, as they very well did. Um, all right, man, any other thoughts from this game? I'll just say that it was great to be back in Autzen. It's my first game back in a little bit. Um, the atmosphere was awesome. I think it was the best daylight atmosphere I've seen since the UW game. And even then it was pretty much on par with that. Uh, the weather was pretty much the only difference. Um, I don't know. It was just really great to be around the stadium and around that environment. Everyone knew the stakes in the stadium, um, which was also pretty nice. And it only rained for like half an hour. And then it was clear for the rest of the day. So any other thoughts just on this day at all?
1: Yeah, it was, it was just an awesome game. Um, it was really fun just the atmosphere around it more than anything. It felt like a special day, like you said. And uh, it felt like Lanning knew that too and and put his best foot forward. Uh, And Dillingham too. We haven't mentioned his name yet, but he called an awesome game. Uh, And his collaboration with Bo, no doubt, has been a huge part of Bo's improvement uh, and this offensive success so far this year. So huge shout out to Kenny Dillingham. He's uh, been, you know, there've been a lot of good, developments from his coaching staff but i think he's been the biggest overachiever from expectations or you know questions going into this season
0: 100 percent. we got that awesome video of him in the booth like i think yeah. it was during the uh bucky irving like leak out touchdown on fourth down um, where he's just absolutely like shaking with excitement and he's like screaming um and it was just so intense it was awesome to see and each week now, uh, I keep hearing his name connected more and more with the Arizona State job, not through any official like sources or anything, um, just as people speculating that he might be a good candidate for it. A couple months ago, people were talking about him as being too young to be an offensive coordinator, and here he is getting like talked about as a head coach. Um, it's kind of interesting to me, but I, I'm not worried about that possibility, by the way. I don't want to really get into a discussion about it, but... Um, I, I'm not worried about it. I what I might be worried about is him moving to like another job. Um <laughs> like a another OC job like at a in the NFL or something like that. I don't know. Or just another job there. But he's been doing incredible so far. Um yeah, that was really fun. Alright, well, that's our UCLA recap. Uh they the Bruins very quickly go from being like most people's first like top uh rated Pac-12 team to the fourth um we've talked about this group of four already uh being USC, Utah, Oregon, and UCLA the four preseason favorites to win the conference and obviously the the only teams in the conference with um two uh fewer than two conference losses since two weeks ago now I think um realistically we know these are the four teams with a chance to win it uh right now i think we both would have the same rankings right oregon utah usc ucla uh
1: i don't know if that's how i would put it um i honestly i think i would still go with i i still have ucla at second right now honestly um That might be a hot take, but, I mean, they beat Utah head-to-head, albeit at home, but they controlled that game pretty well. I don't know if I trust this Utah offense to keep pace in some of these games. Um, I think that they were helped a lot by the home crowd uh, in that USC game as it wore on. I think that it just, you know, we talked about it in the last episode, but just kind of kept eating at USC, uh, and help them kind of hang into that game, especially early on USC had two times in the second quarter that they got the ball in UC in uh, Utah territory and could have put the game away by going up three scores and didn't. Um, so I felt like, you know, I'd have Utah at fourth here. Uh, and maybe that's, I think we still have some, you know, things to learn about these teams, obviously, We've seen three matchups so far between the top four teams and all three matchups, the home team has won. But I think Utah's win uh, is the least convincing against Mm -hmm. USC Um, so much so that I would put USC above them right now uh, on a neutral field. And then, you know, I think, uh, yeah, so they have the, they have the least convincing win. And I honestly think that there was, it was a, decent amount of distance in that Utah UCLA game I felt like um so I'd have them back but you never know I mean Utah is a team that is liable to transform themselves as the season goes on and play their best football in the last few weeks so I'm not counting them out yet uh but yeah I would I, I wouldn't be so uh fast to put them at second right now personally
0: that's fair and I think you've actually convinced me that's the right order but um It's not like I have to file it anywhere or anything. Um, Obviously, USC and Utah both had a bye week after that thrilling game in Week 7. I mentioned Utah going to Wazoo uh, later this week. We'll definitely talk about that game and do a little mini preview of the Pac-12 slate. Uh, Around the rest of the conference this week, nothing super notable. Um, Cal loses by a touchdown against Washington, barely covering. Uh, Cal looked by all accounts, dreadful in that game. I tried my best to watch this on my phone when I got home and into bed, um, but I fell asleep very quickly. I was so exhausted. Uh, Oregon State beat Colorado convincingly at home. Good for the Beavs. They cover. Um, Arizona State loses to Stanford in what will probably go down as the ugliest game of the year in the Pac-12. I don't know, maybe that Cal-Colorado overtime game, but... Yeah, it's a fight. Anytime a team that scores two touchdowns loses to a team that kicks five field goals, like, that's all the research I really want to do on it. Um, I haven't even dug into the box score of that one. So did any of these games pique your interest for any reason?
1: I thought, and it was interesting, I I didn't watch the Arizona State-Sanford game either because we were at the Oregon game, but it was interesting that Arizona State, I think, had a 99% postgame win expectancy in that one. Um, Brutal. (laughs) So brutal for them. Uh, Otherwise, I mean, Oregon State and Washington both getting wins in different fashion. Uh, Washington's was ugly, but it was on the road. Uh, And, you know, we both thought they might lose that game. So I guess credit to them for surviving it. Uh, I think that they are a better team at home. Uh, And then Oregon State looks back like themselves. And those two teams round out six Pac-12 teams right now with uh six and two or better record. That's pretty that's crazy. Great. Yeah, that's good. Really good for the conference, right? Um, And those two teams actually are on a collision course. Both are on buys this week. And then next Friday, uh, Oregon State's going to travel to Seattle. So that will be a really uh, fun game to probably decide who the best team of the Pac-12's middle tier is uh Wazzu might have a case if they can win this weekend versus Utah but otherwise I think that Oregon State Washington match will probably decide the conference's fifth best team.
0: That's a great shout. Yeah, it should be a good game. We're getting into the the realm of these like weeknight games, although I think those are the only two until week 13. So either way, um still a lot of fun Pac-12 stuff coming up, even though some of the quote-unquote top teams, like, well, not quote-unquote, the top four teams that we've been talking about uh, have relatively light schedules in the next, like, two, basically three weeks. Like, Oregon hosts UW. That game is looking less and less dangerous by the week. But, you know, (laughs) I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, like, Oregon fans will be showing up to that game and will be pretty excited about it. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this is... <laughs> this is an all time season in the Pac-Twelve. I think I read something, maybe it was a Wilner stat. There was like one bowl eligible team at this point last season, I think, in the Pac twelve. Um Yeah, because Utah didn't Utah had like three losses at this point and yeah, the Oregon was the only team. Um and even then it was after the <laughs> loss to Stanford. But that's crazy. I mean, what a shame that this conference is finally like putting on as soon as it has you know, two of its members have decided to leave. Uh, but whatever, I'm gonna enjoy it while we have it for these next couple of years, because th- this has been an in- this has been an insanely fun conference to watch this year, um, just all around. So, uh, let's oh, real quick over our picks. Uh, we had a nice little bounce back this week on our Pac-12 Ooh. picks. I I went three and O. You went two and one. The only one we had different was the ASU Stanford game which is kind of brutal for you because Stanford ends up winning the game, but not covering the three points. <laughs> needs one more field goal. Um, so either way, kudos to both of us. Uh, I'm still below water, but I, I think you got your head up. So good job there. Let's pick this week's games. Um, I will give you the board. Where do you want to start?
1: Let me pull these up real quick. Um, well, this is got really, some reds in front of me too. Yeah, this is a really interesting week in the Pac-Twelve, I think. Um, because we have all four teams are kind of all four of these top teams are going into these a little bit weird, uh potentially bad vibes type games. Um you know, obviously it starts with the one on Thursday night. I think Oregon's at Cal we'll get into, but Oregon has some weird history in Berkeley. Uh I'll go with hmm. I'll start with USC-Arizona, I guess. This will be a good test to see how USC's defense is now. Especially, I'm not sure what the status of Eric Gentry is, their uh, star linebacker, but if he's out, you know, Arizona has a lot of weapons. Uh, They can definitely test you, and it's at home for Arizona. Line is, what do you have it at, 15 and a half? Do you have something else?
0: Yeah, I I have 15 and a half.
1: Yeah, Okay. I'll go uh, – I think USC probably wins, but um, I'll go with Arizona to cover that.
0: I like that. That's a tough pick. Um, I think I'm going to go with USC. I, I don't really think it matters if they have their, like, first, second, or third string, whatever out there. It still should be better than whatever Arizona is able to cobble up. No disrespect to the Wildcats, but, um, yeah, I I think maybe some of their – Fun, like unexpected results are already behind them. Um, I don't know if this team is going to get to bull eligibility. They're three and four right now, and they have USC, then at Utah, then at UCLA. They host Wazoo, and then they play ASU in the rivalry. That's, I mean, those are five losable games. I'm seeing like maybe one combined win there, like maybe two. Um, so I don't know. Good luck to the Wildcats, but, uh, I'm not sure it's going to happen. I definitely don't think they are able to cover this. Um, This spread is pretty similar to what Oregon had um, Mm -hmm. going down there. USC shouldn't have a problem with with Arizona in this game. Um, I won't take the big one yet. Instead, let me go... Hmm, hmm, hmm. ASU at Colorado. I'll get the sick one out of the way. As I mentioned already, these two teams have been involved in some of the most disgusting games in the entire conference in the past two weeks. That's really, really saying something. I guess ASU is rolling with Emory Jones. Do I have that right? They don't yeah. like the backup guy?
1: Yeah, that's that's who they played last week at least, so we'll see how that goes.
0: Weird. Yeah, Trendon Baguette or baguette, whatever his name is. <laughs> he was doing really well. Um, yeah, he was. He had to come in, yeah. ASU is 13 and a half point favorites at Colorado. I don't know, man. Will Colorado's crowd show up like they did against Cal? I'm not sure. Will ASU even care about playing in this game? I'm not sure. Uh, give me Colorado and the points.
1: Yeah, I'll go with ASU. Uh, th- or do you, what is it? 13 and a half. Is that what you have? Yeah. 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 I'll I'm pretty sure ASU. we're looking at the same yeah,
0: website. Okay. <laughs> uh, All right, Stanford-UCLA, and we can save the good game for last. Um, UCLA is the only top four team that isn't going on the road, uh, but they are still obviously favored. 16.5 is a big number, but I don't really trust Stanford to get any better, despite what David Shaw says. Um, Give me UCLA to cover.
1: Yeah, Stanford's a weird test case here because they've – won the Notre Dame game and Arizona State games back-to-back, both ugly, 16-14, then 15-14. Before that, they also uh, should have won a game against Oregon State, who's now surging as you know a good case for the fifth-best team in the conference, I would say. Uh, they actually made it into the Josh Pate poll uh, on late kick. They, I think they slotted in at 17th, which I was very surprised to see. Wow. Um, obviously beavers have a pretty huge home road split but uh anyways in regards to this game yeah i still don't quite buy it with stanford but i'm curious if there is something there uh because they've performed well the last three weeks at least by their standards but uh at home i think you know there's just too much opportunity for ucla to run this one up so i'll go with ucla
0: yeah, they they need that bounce back game. Uh, Beavers, by the way, are on a bye this week, along with you, like you mentioned. Um, they're gonna butt heads a, a little bit later in week not no week ten, because this is week nine already. Wow. <laughs> um, all right, man. Final game, by most accounts, game of the week. We'll obviously get to the Oregon game as well, but uh, Utah seven point favorites on the road, on the Palouse, not in the Palouse against washington state uh i'll let you pick this one first who are you taking
1: yeah this is a really interesting game uh i think it's a huge test for utah to try to take the show on the road right and again Mm -hmm. they already have a conference loss so they're back in survival mode here if they lose then they're probably out of the pac 12 race um that said i do think that they're in a pretty good position to stretch this game out uh i think that One thing that's really in their favor is Washington State doesn't have a run game to test Utah's front seven, and that's been an area that they've struggled. Um, And in general, I think that, uh, you know, the other part of it, I think Utah's secondary is probably uh, as well-equipped as anyone to handle Wazoo's passing game. Um, So that makes me feel good about Utah on that side of the ball, ball. And then on the other side, I think, uh is another interesting matchup right wazoo may be the best defense in the conference and utah is you know in that top four of offense i won't say that they're the conference's best but i think this could prove that utah either that utah belongs in that top tier uh firmly with their offense or that wazoo really is far and away the best defense in the conference um the over-under is only 55, which is low by Pac-12 standards. So that's definitely, you know, an interesting number. And the line is only at seven right now, uh, which surprises me. But I think because of the matchup advantages Utah has, I expect them to win this game uh, by a fair bit more than this, probably closer to two touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Utah.
0: Utah is such a weird team, man. I mean, some of these some of these advanced numbers, like FPI has them as the eighth ranked team in the country right now still. Right. Um, but like they're, uh, sorry, they're, they're not very high in their ELO rating is only 22nd. And then they're right in the middle of that with their AP ranking at 14. Um, I, I really don't know what to think about this game. I just have a feeling that um, when Utah steps on the field, they might be, and, you know, this is pure speculation, of course, but I'm just trying to think about how I'll consume this game and how I'll be thinking about each of these teams. Like, Utah, like you said, their backs are up against the wall right now. I mean, if they lose, they're pretty much out of the Pac-12 title race considering the the loss they already have. Um, I, I really feel nervous about picking Wazoo to cover. Like, I think I would either throw some... Uh, throw some money line sprinkle on wazoo to win it outright or utah to cover this oh man it's tough for that reason i i think i'll go utah i i'll go with the sensible pick um but i would not be surprised in the slightest um to see wazoo win this game outright this is just the exact type of game that you know pac 12 teams who are looking to do well like really really sputter out in We've seen Oregon do it time and time again. Like, I don't know. I I just feel like this is a game Utah very well could lose, despite their relative prominence in the conference right now. Um, and honestly, that that would go for any other team in the top four as well. We saw Oregon almost lose a game like this earlier in the season to start the conference slate. Uh, I wouldn't really trust UCLA or USC to perform super well on the Palouse either. So, um. All right, well, at least we figure on a couple of these picks. Uh we will try to do better this week than we have done in general. Um I shouldn't say that. You're above water at least, but all right, Oregon and Cal. This might end up being the best game of the week. Uh it'll probably be the best game of Saturday. Um Oregon right now are 17 point favorites on the road in Berkeley. Some recent history against Cal as you as you kind of started to mention isn't amazing um these two teams really battled like when cal had some really good talent towards the end of the aughts uh and oregon was just rising into national prominence um i think of like the the 2008 game where cal comes up to oregon and gets absolutely smack or sorry it was 2009 they come up to oregon get absolutely smacked so that was oregon avenging a three-game losing streak up until that point oregon had been ranked in all three of those games as well um, and all those losses to Cal, one of those was the uh, the infamous touchback game, where I think it was like Cameron Colvin or maybe it was uh, Williams reaching for the pylon and like ball barely comes loose and it's the weirdest rule in football, right? Where yeah. instead of getting the ball on the one yard line, it's a touchback, uh, and that ended the game for Oregon uh, in a game they really should have won at home. Uh, you had the 15-13 three game, five, sorry, fifteen to 13 game, would have been a lot more comfortable, it was 15-3, uh, where Cliff Harris's punt return is essentially the difference, as well as a missed field goal by Cal after a false start by Tevecchio, the kicker. And that was one of the most stressful games I've ever watched in my entire life. Um, but those two wins I mentioned in 2009 and ten started a 1-2-3-4-5-6-7 game win streak by Oregon. Uh, that was only defeated by that brutal 2016 game, the overtime loss for Herbert in his uh, rookie, se- not rookie se- freshman season. Um, that was kind of the nail in the coffin for that season, I think, for for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, the up until, I mean, since then Oregon has won four or five. Obviously, in 2020, the Ducks slip up at Cal in a game that ended up not really mattering for the Pac-12 you know, standings, I guess. Race, if you can even call a six-game season a race, or four-game season, whatever it was. Um, so, I don't know. There have been some chaotic moments against Cal. Like, what do you think it is about about Cal? In a lot of ways, they're just kind of another Stanford, right?
1: Yeah, it's those Bay Area schools, right? Uh, they always have, some, have a word on how to mess up this conference title race, it feels like. Um, and nobody
0: both- cares if they win which makes it even right.
1: more brutal. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, there's Not even anyone to be mad at. Um, yeah. I think this game is, uh, you know, I feel I, I don't want to say it necessarily, but I'm not that worried about it. Uh, Cal really outside of the Arizona game has looked very, very bad. Um, and we don't, you know, Arizona isn't a great team and especially not a great defense. But other than that, Cal scored 21, 13 versus Colorado, 9 versus Washington State, 17 versus Notre Dame, 20 versus UNLV, and 34 versus UC Davis. Um, you know, if you're following that trend, you would think that Cal's not scoring more than 20 versus Oregon. Uh, so that, and, and looking at Oregon's offense just in the simplest way, even though Cal, I think, probably has, you know, a reasonably good defense, uh, they do. Uh, they're be- better half of the conference. Still think Oregon's offense is good enough to put up enough to make this game pretty comfortable. Um, and the biggest weakness for Cal, honestly, is their offensive line. And that's an area that Oregon, you know, is looking to – improve on the flip side of that, which is the D line and creating pressure um, and hopefully getting the linebackers involved. This is a chance to this and next week. First Colorado is a chance to build this defense's confidence straight up. Like that's what these two games are there for. Uh, and mm-hmm. more importantly, hopefully two wins um, this one though, you know, the Colorado game, I don't think I'm going to be very, even very worried about at all. Um, this one, Just with the history and the Cal logo, there's the slightest bit of worry in the back of my head, for sure. Uh, But logically, it doesn't feel like there are many threats that Cal poses that Oregon shouldn't have an answer to.
0: Yeah, I mean, to an extent, we can can play this trap game music about every single game in the Pac-12, right? I mean, there's just such a large sample size over the hundreds of years that some of these rivalries have happened. Uh, that you're bound to have some weird memories of just cursed stuff going down. Um, I mean, we've said it about damn near every team Oregon has played at this point throughout the season, right? Uh, at least in the conference. So, I'm I'm with you. Like, I'm not really worried about this game. Uh, I think, like you said, the theme of these next two weeks is I want to see the defense have some big plays. I want to see the defense cook. And not even just big plays. I want them to play well all around. I mean, we're talking about a Cal team that is ninety fourth in the country in success rate, thirty nine point one percent success rate. For comparison, the Ducks are at fifty three point three percent. That's third in the country on offense. That's insane. Um, we should be blowing. We should be blowing this team out, no question. Uh, Cal also is—they're just terrible up and down. I mean, they have really no redeeming stats uh at all really i mean i'm looking at all their numbers right now and i i'm just not seeing anything like really jade not is the only good thing i've heard about this team all season uh like you said yeah. that arizona game was a great testament to that and we saw what he can do but i mean cal looked terrible like once they lost that notre dame game admittedly on some bs like they they probably should have had a much better chance to win that game. They got screwed over by some bad refereeing. Still, though, they're three and four, and they started out three and one. Like, they just—I'm not seeing really any reason to be optimistic, like, from the Cal side of things. And I'm looking forward at the rest of their schedule, and like, maybe they can beat Stanford in, in the game or Big Get whatever the hell they call it in Week 12. Uh, other than that, though, they're playing Oregon. They play at USC, at Oregon State, and then host UCLA on a Friday in that week 13. That is a horrifically terrifying schedule, um, especially after just losing to U-Dub, a game that you would hope was winnable if you're a Cal fan, to get to 4-3 and, and have a shot that. at full eligibility. Like, I'm wondering when some of these players are going to start giving up. Um, I don't think they'll fire Wilcox even if they like lose out the rest of the season. I just have a hard time believing that Cal cares enough to make that big of a move. Um, I, I don't, I don't really care to speculate anymore about Wilcox, but I saw they hired Steve Greatwood, longtime Oregon offensive line coach. Um, they certainly need it. I don't know how much it's going to help in the short term. Cause from what I understand, they have a massive personnel issue and I think their best offensive lineman is out for the season. Um, so yeah, I honestly like, I don't really know where this 17 comes from. Um, I, I understand that these models are built off of, like, you know, underlying data and, you know, beta rank type stats, but um, I'm just not seeing it. I'm not seeing a world in which Oregon wins this game by fewer than 17 points.
1: Yeah, I think it would be a late, you know, backdoor cover type of situation is what I expect. I mean, the, I think the argument against that is just, and this is something Carlos said on no truck stop is, is, um, Cal is the team in the PAC 12 that is most consistently drug opponents into the mud and created the ugliest possible games to watch. Uh, I, I think that's true, right? In part, li- in part, it's because their defense is pretty solid. Um, and their offense is obviously horrific, uh, really bordering on Colorado levels of disgusting offense, uh, especially play calling. If it wasn't for Jay Nott, they'd be there pretty much. Um, Mm -hmm. So maybe Cal's just able to infect their opponent, uh, in this case, Oregon, and just turn this game incredibly ugly. But the way Oregon's offense has been rolling, I just think that... They have answers to you know they've had answers to more talented defenses than this um, you know I mean on the defensive side for Cal like Jackson Sermon is a legit guy um, he's you know a good linebacker transferred from Washington but it's not Noah Sewell running around out there exactly you know it's mm-hmm. uh, it's a guy who's eating up tackles in a bad in a mediocre defense uh, and you know deserves the praise and will be a first or second team all pac 12 player, but I don't think he's going to completely disrupt Oregon's offensive attack. Uh, and otherwise I think that it's a team that's, you know, pretty mo- mediocre across the board, uh, mediocre to solid. They have a very talented freshman running back and they have a very bad offensive line, which kind of negates the talent of the running back. Um, <laughs> If they're playing a defense with a pulse. So should be uh should be a fun game for Oregon, hopefully. Um and yeah, that's how I feel about it. I mean, right now, honestly, as fans and stuff, I think I'm just trying to enjoy being six and one, having a game like this, not take it for granted. Uh anytime you have one loss, anytime you have a single digit uh ranking next to your name, it's pretty fun. Playoff Mm -hmm. rankings coming out on Tuesday Um, will be fun. So I don't want to look ahead too much necessarily in case this comes back the other way. But this should be a game that Oregon can handle.
0: Yeah, the only thing I'm thinking about is like last year's game or really the past three years. Right. Oregon's point totals against Cal. And I I think this is the game in which this is the matchup in which the Mario Cristobal effect had come to light the most was against Cal. Uh, with Herbert in 2019, 17 points. The final score was 17 to 7. I remember being at that game. Everyone except me left early. Um, and <laughs> obviously, two years ago, Tyler Shuck in the COVID year, like you can give all the exceptions you want. Oregon should be winning that game 10 times out of 10, and they ended up losing it. Only 24 points scored. Um, then you get to, or sorry, only 17 points scored. Then you get to last year, uh, Cal's a team that scores 17, and Oregon scores 24. And it was pretty damn close down to the end there. Uh, if you look at it on paper, I mean, I'm looking at the off... Um, sorry, I'm looking at the advanced stats from that game from last season. Uh, Oregon shredded Cal on a per-play basis. It was honestly just a, a measure of, like, volume. I mean, Cal ran about 20 more plays than Oregon from scrimmage, 80-62. Uh, to 62. That's That's a recipe to, like blow a game you should be winning Anthony Brown even went 21 for 29 and I think he was still getting like booed off the field in that game Kayvon Thibodeau won it down the stretch for the Ducks uh, yeah he he you know bested an O-line that was at a severe severe talent disadvantage especially against Kayvon um, and he kind of forced the pressures that ended up winning that game for the Ducks but again that was with just a different type of team. It was a team that wasn't concerned with making big plays or putting teams to bed. Even it was a team that was gonna stab you and let you, you know, bleed out very slowly uh, towards the end of the game. I, it doesn't seem like Landing is one to do that. Uh, maybe once he gets the ball back in the last like three minutes and there's you know a two-score lead, like there was in this uh, UCLA game, like I could see him doing that then, but. I feel confident in this team's ability to put bad teams away at this point. I was down on them a little bit earlier in the year. Like, I'll I'll keep referencing I picked them to lose to Arizona because I just seemed like a bad vibes game. The vibes aren't even as bad in this game. And Cal, I think, is a worse team than Arizona at this rate, at least in the way they match up against Oregon. So... Yeah, I, I don't I don't see any potential threats, honestly. Like Jack Plummer is not a good quarterback and he's not helped by the fact that they have the worst O line in the conference. And that's that's really saying something in the Pac twelve. So
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that you hit it. The past few years, I think what made this game close was that uh you know, Cal isn't a horribly coached team defensively, and I think that uh ball's lack of imagination on offense kind of was what allowed Cal to put a you know stop on this Oregon offense and make those games ugly. And I think that through a large enough sample size as this game wears on, Oregon's gonna find the cracks eventually and there will be points. Uh, and there just hasn't been any reason to believe that Cal can keep up in that game outside of one huge outlier against Arizona, the you know one of the worst defenses, if not the worst defense in the league. Where do, where yep. do you put Cal in the conference right now? I'm just curious.
0: I don't know, man. Um like at least Stanford is showing something in the last 3 weeks like you said. Uh I mean, what does it mean if you lose to by everyone's account the worst team in the con- in in the league in Colorado, right? Right. Uh I I got to think that puts them bottom 3. I mean, honestly, I don't see a big difference between the bottom four teams right now in Arizona, Colorado, Stanford, and Arizona state, like whatever, and and Cal, sorry. So bottom five, I guess, like whatever order you want to put those in, like those should be a free hit for any team taking themselves seriously at this point. Uh, I think Washington beating Cal last week is a good example of that. Like even I think the worst team that's trying, shall we say, in UW um, or one of the worst is still like a touchdown better than Cal uh, on the road in, you know, home and road splits matter a lot for both of those teams. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just not seeing a lot of hope for Cal for the rest of this season. I wonder if the players are, too. Like, I wonder if they're looking at the schedule or anything. Uh, I'm looking at – I have the Athletics uh, 131 131 rankings in front of me right now. And it looks like Cal, Stanford, and Arizona are all in the 70s, with Cal being 70, Arizona 71, and Stanford 78. I mean, if Cal and Stanford play tomorrow, like, who are you picking in that game?
1: Yeah, I'll I'll take Stanford. Right now I'll take Stanford.
0: I'm thinking that too. So, yeah, I – I don't rate Cal whatsoever. Um, I think they got a little bit of deserved hype early in the season for starting three and one with that close loss at Notre Dame. Um, but since then, I mean, these last four weeks, they've had three losses and a bye. There's just nothing to be excited about with this team right now. Yeah, I agree. Um, one thing I'd want to ask you about actually, because I, I know you might have more context than I on this, the Jaden Ott story, uh, Why did he commit to Oregon? Why did he decommit from Oregon? And, like, how did he end up at Cal?
1: Yeah, honestly, um, I mean, he was a really early commit in that cycle. Uh, It was an interesting like, Yeah, it was an interesting time. I think he might have been the first guy who joined the class in 2022. Uh, And then his ranking was kind of fluctuating. He was initially a five-star in that class. Um, Wow. And then, but in the super, super preliminary rankings, like he was one of the top 30 guys. Uh, and then, you know, I honestly think that Oregon um, just kind of eased up on on recruiting him that heavily. I'm, I'm going to look real quick at a refresher of how that class ended up for the Ducks. I guess that was, um, you know, he ended up being in this last cycle. So it looked a little bit different, um when he, you know, initially decommit decommitted under the last staff and just how it shook out. But yeah, I think that Oregon probably felt like they had better options potentially and he's uh I believe he's a local SoCal kid, so or NorCal kid. Um so I think it was just kind of the close program to go to, uh, and yeah, he went to Norco, which might be where the dies went, uh, if I remember yeah, it correctly. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think it just kind of was one of those things where he was he was projected to be like a must take at one point. Then he kind of cooled off and was like a mid four star guy or a high three star guy for a little bit. Um, and I think Oregon cooled on him. Cal was pushing hard because he was like their local musket guy, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes sense. And yeah,
0: yeah,
1: right. And then from there, you know, they pushed harder. Oregon wore off and he flipped to Cal. and He's turned out to kind of realize, uh, and cash in on the hype that people had for him initially. Yeah, and
0: I, I he's probably still in pole position. I haven't checked the numbers. In- recent weeks, but it's got to be either him or like Tet McMillan in position for Pac-12 uh, offensive freshman of the year.
1: Another former Pac-12 Oregon a. commit. Huh? Another former Oregon oh, commit, yeah. right? So. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> um,
0: and I mean, shoot, we got Josh Carnally out there bruising things up for Oregon on offense as well as a true freshman. So um, when you're at the top, it's, it's easier to identify and get talent. Uh, we'll just roll with that um so i don't know i again jade not is pretty much the only fun thing about this cal team uh they're organized serious problems if cal even covers in this game quite honestly uh unless it's some like backdoor voodoo magic um to to get some garbage time touchdowns but uh yeah man do do you want to do some score predictions or got anything else you want to preview about it first
1: uh no we can go to score predictions and I can start us off here. Um honestly, I mean Oregon's offense has been really consistent in putting up like uh forty but not fifty. So I'll roll with that, I guess. Um I'll go with forty nine. Uh nah, I'll go with forty two actually. I'll go with forty two for Oregon because Cal's defense isn't horrible. Uh and Cal, I think, is gonna score like 17
0: okay 4217 um honestly i'm just gonna will oregon scoring more points into existence i'll go like 55 to uh 24 but so here's the thing right we kind of we we touched on it earlier but uh and we've done this in the past what score for cal is a win for you defensively is it 20
1: yeah, I think under, I mean, I think that Oregon, if they really want to be serious, like you can hold Cal to 10, you totally can do that um, and probably should be able to. Uh, but I don't know if they will come out with that type of intensity. Right. Uh, and, you know, with garbage time, I could easily see Cal having 10 points late in the third quarter, but they finished the game with 20. You know, 24. or 24 yeah. or whatever. That's yeah. what I was
0: going to say. Is It's a backdoor, like, not even cover, but just nagging a couple touchdowns at the end.
1: Right. Um, but I think you, you don't want to be, like, honestly higher than than 14 in non-garbage time is not a good look.
0: Yeah. That non-garbage time part is the key. I mean, I what did Arizona have when it was garbage time? Like, 10 points, 13 points, I think. Um, and... Again, Cal should theoretically have a worse offense in Arizona. Um, so yeah, I give me <laughs> give me a nice low defensive performance. I don't care what the offense does. they've earned my respect either way. Um, as long as they put up like 30, I'll be happy that shouldn't be a problem for them. Um, but defense yeah under 20 would would be chef's kiss ideal uh, for the entire game even under 14 if possible. So just keep that in the back of your head as you're watching. Um, anything else you want to point out about this matchup, man?
1: No, like I said, I'm just enjoying that. We're still, still rolling, uh, with, you know, one loss for Oregon. Uh, it's been a fun ride since that first week and excited to keep it going, uh, and hopefully get to these next slate of home games, uh, with, without taking another one.
0: Yeah. So let's, uh, let's identify maybe some other games around the country this weekend. Um, Obviously, that that Utah at Wazoo game kind of takes away the Thursday, which actually I didn't realize that was Thursday until we started recording, so I might need to shuffle some plans around, actually, but um, (laughs) because I I very much want to watch that game. Um, What else is catching your eye this week, though?
1: Yeah, Ohio State, Penn State. I'll start with that, 9 a.m. A lot of people will probably say, what? That's not even going to be competitive because Ohio State is maybe the best team in the country right now. Could be true. Uh, I definitely will not be surprised if Ohio State runs away with this game, but I'm not convinced that that will absolutely happen. They haven't played a good team really at all, uh, except (laughs) for that Notre Dame game the first week, and we know what Notre Dame turned into uh, as the season has gone on. So maybe uh, Penn State has a shot at home. Uh, to make that game competitive and that would be really fun i think it will just be like i think it's the last box to check for like okay ohio state is bona fide favorite or co-favorite to win the national title um Mm -hmm. so i'll be interested to see you know not necessarily if they lose outright although that would be intriguing but uh just if that's competitive where do you want to go
0: uh, I want to go TCU at West Virginia. This is also in that 9 a.m. slot. This one's on ESPN. Um, TCU is only a 7.5-point favorite on the road in this game. That's number 7, 7-0 and zero undefeated TCU. Um, but there is a caveat with that. I, I don't know how much of these TCU wins you've watched over the past few weeks, but um, in their last three weeks, obviously all wins. Uh, they've beaten Oklahoma, Kansas, and Oklahoma State, all three of which they knocked out the starting quarterbacks and, right. uh, in both of those games, or all three of those games, um, and Kansas State actually this week. I didn't even have it marked down on my spreadsheet, but that's four in a row now, uh, where they <laughs> the starting quarterback has gotten injured. Um, kind of spooky stuff. Like if I was Jaden Daniels, I would probably or JT Daniels, sorry, I would I would watch out in this game uh, for West Virginia, but um we'll see if that weird trend continues um that's a plucky one though like less than you know only a touchdown favorite on the road that's that's a little bit spooky um i'm also looking obviously at the the world's largest outdoor cocktail party florida and georgia this might be the last time this is a neutral game for the foreseeable future but that's on your 12:30 decent second screen if you want to throw it on nice little rivalry game that georgia should dominate um Oak State at Kansas State at the same time. If you've got a third screen, that might be worth it. Uh, what else are you looking at?
1: Yeah, that Big 12 race in general is interesting, right? I mean, TCU is holding on there to the seventh spot. Uh, and then uh, I think, you know, Oklahoma State is the only other team with one loss in the conference. That's right. Um, they're at nine. But, you know, if those two teams get knocked off, which both play competitive games this weekend – All of a sudden, you know, you can basically cross out the Big 12 from the playoff race. Um, So interesting enough, you know, for if you follow that stuff in general or in relation to Oregon. Um, Otherwise, I mean, I think this Tennessee game is a little bit interesting, right? Um, They're hosting Kentucky, uh, and it's a look-ahead spot for them because they have uh, the Georgia game next week. uh, Trip to Georgia. You know, I just don't know if Tennessee—if I trust that Tennessee is good enough. I think they're in that position where, you know, they're good enough to plan for a game against a really good comp- opponent and be competitive like they were against Alabama. Are they good enough to week in, week out, beat teams who are trying to give them their best shot? Uh, I'm not completely sure. You know, it'd be interesting if that Kentucky game's close. I certainly don't view them as, you know, as unbeatable as I view Georgia, or even like, you know, as shocked as I am when an, when Alabama loses a game. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's the other one that's big. Um, otherwise, maybe you care about Ole Miss, uh, Texas A&M, but Shrine's take, kind of taken off of Ole Miss after they lost pretty good to LSU last week, in my mind.
0: Yeah, I... I don't know. I, I think that was kind of a classic, like, Death Valley moment. Um, there was a reason LSU were favored at home against number seven in that game. Um, if you're feeling real sick, real gross, uh, Illinois and Nebraska play a football game. Uh, so do Rutgers and Minnesota. Look, man, I don't know if you've looked at the standings recently, but somebody has to win the Big Ten West. Preseason favorite was Wisconsin, and second preseason favorite was Nebraska. Two fired head coaches running those teams. Uh, or interim head coaches, I guess. Uh, but other than that, I mean, Minnesota, Iowa, Purdue, I- Illinois is in the driver's seat in this conference right now. Um, and I believe they, or, I, I don't know, it, it's, or in this division, at least not conference, good God. Uh, and I don't know if you saw this, but I, there was a graphic where like someone mapped out how Northwestern could theoretically win the division. Yeah, I saw that. Um, <laughs> so, Northwestern are one and six already. <laughs> um, so, I guess we'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, I'm not really seeing a ton else on this slate this week. Like uh, Miami Watch, who do they play? They play Vir- at Virginia. Oh boy, that could be another disaster game for Mario. So, I don't know, maybe tune into that one. Yeah, that was a big,
1: big loss for them uh, last week against Duke.
0: Yeah. Dude, that's terrible. 8 turnovers in one game? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, that's embarrassing. So, relatively weak national slate. You know what that means? It's a great time to watch a lot of Pac-12 football. Um, yeah, I I'm excited for most of these games still. A lot of tough road tests for these top teams, so
1: do you, do you think all in all, do you think top 4 teams remain uh to avoid upsets this weekend in the Pac-12, or do you think one of them goes down? I think it's pretty close to a 50-50 shot, I would say, between all of them.
0: Hold on, i got to actually pull up the rankings. Uh, I think top, let's see, Clemson play. Do Clemson even play this week, or they have a bye? They're number five. Um, Michigan is the one with the biggest test. Well, maybe Georgia. I don't even think I don't even really consider Ohio State's a test, honestly. Yeah. I, I think it remains unchanged. Um, maybe if Michigan struggles with Sparty a little bit, then like Clemson replaces them. But yeah, I don't, I don't really see a reason why they would change.
1: All right. Um, yeah. What right, else yeah. do we have? Anything else?
0: Huh, I don't think so. Um, it's good to know we got two episodes worth of stuff into one, uh, one 90 minute segment or so we'll pro- we might continue that. I mean, obviously, if we have a lot to say about something, we're gonna do it. You guys know how we operate. Um, thank you for sticking with us. Uh, go check out. I'll read stuff at No Truck Stops. I use it to prepare. Like I read your newsletter to prepare as well, um, just to get my mind right for the game. Know what I should be looking at. Um, no Truck Stops is great. We love all their people. Um, some of them, like Carlos, can rub us the wrong way sometimes, but they're all <laughs> really good people. So um yeah man anything else you want to plug before we get out of here
1: no yeah that's it uh hoping to post the newsletter Thursday morning for this game a little bit of a closer turnaround because it's a Thursday game uh but yeah look out for that and no truck stops on Mondays Patreon episodes and stuff you can find through there so yeah um that's about it hopefully Ducks can pull it off this weekend
0: yes sir go Ducks
1: go Ducks